It is a great honor to be in Alaska, Alaska Yukon District, and uh, being with your leadership, Brother Parrish, amen, Brother Bradbury, your secretary, your district board, amen, and thank you, Brother Blackshear, for allowing us to speak from your pulpit. God bless you, and our good, good friend, amen, Brother Wagner, we've been on a few uh, a few uh, committees together, and then also very, very, this is a kind of a Wisconsin, Alaska, I, you know, here. Brother Jared Blackshear, Bishop Blackshear, we are certainly honored to be with you. Amen. Praise God. And we are certainly honored to be with all the pastors and ministers and your wives here at uh, the Alaska Yukon District and we're honored to just be able to speak. I brought my girlfriend with me, amen, and uh, she and I have been going together, not married all these years, but we started young, Going, we've been going together for 50 years, and uh, so, uh, praise God. My wife taught special education for 36 years, she always said I was her best student. So, uh, and she retired four years ago. I finally got to graduate. And that's when I began to being asked to speak at meetings like this. Amen. You know, I, I don't want to keep you standing too much longer here, but it's been some years ago, but in Wisconsin, we had a prophecy. And uh, it was from an outside speaker. And I understand when you say outside, you mean the lower 48. But uh, it was from an outside speaker. And he said, I mean, he was the voice of God coming from him. And he said that there are two regions in this continent that God is greatly using and blessing. And he said it was Wisconsin and Alaska. Now I say that to you today is because when I walked in here, it was just like walking into a Wisconsin meeting. Amen. It's the same kindred spirit, spirit of unity, a spirit of genuine love and praise. And so I say Alaska, Yukon, just keep it up. Amen. In Jesus' name. Praise God. If you have your Bibles today, and I don't want to wear out your fingers here, I don't normally have this many text scriptures, but I didn't know when to quit here. So uh, we're turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and then also in chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and also chapter 6. And then another finger in 2 Corinthians 3. And then the last one in Hebrews 3. And uh, I'm going to read through them quickly. Paul writes to the Corinthian church in the ninth verse of the third chapter and says, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building." 
Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? How many of you know that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Amen. Verse 19 of chapter 6 says, Paul then asks them a question and says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Verse 20, For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. In the third chapter of 2 Corinthians, in verse 2, Paul writes in his second epistle, he said, Ye are our epistle. That is epistolos in the Greek, a written message, an epistle, a letter, epistelio, to enjoin by writing. That is to communicate by letter for any particular purpose. We are a written message written in our hearts, known, and look at this, read of all men. For as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. And then in the book of Hebrews, the writer writes in verse 4 of chapter 3, For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things, everybody say all things, is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Folks, in your hearing tonight, I want to speak to you about being a pillar of the assembly. About being a pillar of the assembly. I don't care where you go to church, what church you may pastor, or what church you may attend. All of us need to be pillars, amen, in that church house. We need to stand for something that we are not just spectators there, but we are participators when we get there, amen. And when people look at us, they see something different than they see in the rest of the world. Can you say amen? Being a pillar of the assembly, you may be seated. I don't know how many of you have had the privilege. I know it's quite a long way, but uh, I just personally believe, this is a personal buff of mine, but I personally believe that our nation's capital in Washington, D.C. is one of the most beautiful in the world. With the White House, the Capitol Building, the Lincoln Memorial, the Jefferson Memorial, and right in the center of the National Mall area stands the Washington Monument. 
Whether it was whether it was meant to be or not, I don't know. But if you could look at that National Mall area from the air, where the Lincoln Memorial being at the top, the Jefferson Memorial pointing to the left, the White House to the right, and our Capitol building at the foot, there is no doubt about it, church, it forms the shape of a cross. The very symbol that represents what I hope our forefathers, I know they stood for, and I would hope to God that we still, in these 50 states of America, still stand in one God, amen, that we trust. Oh, somebody ought to shout amen. We know that Christianity has been the very faith that has made an indelible, an indelible impact upon our nation. I don't believe this just happened by chance. I have to believe that someone in the architectural planning of our nation's capital planned it that way. And may I remind all of us that this nation was founded upon the belief of one nation under God. That monument that's right in the center of the city plan, that monument is in a tall obelisk, obelisk of marble. The monument was erected, of course, to the memory of our very first president, George Washington. It was finished in 1888, rising 555 feet, five and a half inches tall, with a pyramid-shaped cap at its top. That is only approximately, the cap is only 13 inches tall. And inscribed on the east side of this cap are two Latin words that simply says, Los Dio. Which in English means, praise be unto God. Don't tell me... Uh, don't tell me those people that now want to take God and everything out of textbooks uh, that our forefathers were not uh, religiously plugged in. Uh, oh no, my friend, this country was built upon the principle in God we trust. Praise be unto God. Can you lift your hands right now and give him that praise? Lord, we thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And what is so interesting, no human eye can see those words. Only God alone. And to God alone be all the praise, the glory, and the honor. The Greek word for foundation is themelios, something that is put down, that is a substruction of a building. And the fourth definition of that English word foundation is an underlying base or support, especially the whole masonry substructure of a building. I believe that any of us uh, that are serious students uh, of reading the Bible we can quickly come to the conclusion and the understanding uh, that our Heavenly Father has been and still is uh, in the building business. 
His projects have not been by mere coincidence, but by his own purpose and design. The Almighty has been creating and building since his first creative word. Let there be. The first five days of the creation were spoken into existence. And on the sixth day, the word declares that he formed man from the dust of the ground. Man was personally fashioned or personally built by God himself. He made Adam in his image and his likeness. That's why Hebrews, I believe, says, for every house is builded by some man. But he that built all things, everybody say all things, is God. Throughout scripture, we find the Lord designing and building to the extent that Jesus himself, according to Mark's gospel, was identified as a carpenter. Is not this the carpenter, it reads, the son of Mary. God gave Noah the building plans for the ark, that floating vessel that provided safety and preservation for Noah, his family, and ultimately saved the human race. God gave Moses the plans for the building of the tabernacle in the wilderness. He gave precise instructions that were to be obeyed in the design for construction, the tabernacle in the wilderness. It consisted of the outer court, uh, the brazen altar, the holy place, uh, the table of showbread, uh, the golden candlestick, uh, the altar of incense, the veil, the holy of holies, and the ark of the covenant, the mercy seat. This was God's plan. It was his design for the purpose that sinful man could approach a holy God and be forgiven. Then we read about the construction of Solomon's temple. Second Chronicles 2 and 1 says, And Solomon determined to build a house for the name of the Lord and a house for his kingdom. In the third chapter of the same book, the third verse, it says, now these are the things wherein Solomon was instructed for the building of the house of God. Wonder where Solomon was getting his instructions from. Hello? King Solomon proceeded in building a true wonder of the world designed by the Almighty built by his servant, the king, a temple, patterned after the tabernacle of the wilderness, fashioned and built uh, with glory and majesty on the inside. And on the outside, the Lord had Solomon grace the entrance of this temple with two pillars. I can't tell you how excited I was because God just changed the message this afternoon of what I was going to preach. And when I walked in here, I thought, hmm. Hmm. Two pillars. 
First Kings 7 and 13 says, and King Solomon sent and fetched Hiram out of Tyre. He was a widow's son of the tribe of Naphtali, and his father was a man of Tyre, a worker in brass. And he was filled with wisdom and understanding and cunning to work in all works in brass. And he came to King Solomon and wrought all his work. For he cast two pillars of brass. Everybody say of brass. Of 18 cubits high apiece. And a line of 12 cubits did compass either of them about. These two pillars stood approximately 27 feet tall. They were 6 feet in width. And with that, they had a 7 and 1 half foot capstone or what the scripture calls a, a capiter. Now, what a great illustration here tonight. That's that top part of the pillar. That's the capiter. Okay? Seven foot tall, each pillar. And on the top of these capiters, they were ornately adorned for all to see and to behold. These pillars were made of brass, now, I understand that brass in the Bible typically and historically represents judgment. There's another scripture that says that judgment must begin at the house of God. Silver, we understand, represents royalty and gold deity. And the scripture states in 17th verse of 2 Chronicles 3, and he reared up the pillars before the temple, one on the right hand and the other on the left, and he called the name of the one on the right hand Jachin, and the name of that on the left Boaz. So what does all this have to do with us today, Brother Putnam? The answer is simple. Everything. See, I believe we know and understand that the Old Testament is our schoolmaster. To the point that the principles that were established in the Old Testament would be lived out through the power of the Spirit in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 10 and 11 says, Now all these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Now let me explain. All of what God had built in the Old Testament would be practically enacted and lived out in the New Testament church, including the purpose for which the temple that was built by King Solomon built. Now please understand, not everybody that lived at the time of that temple could go inside that temple. That privilege was only preserved for the Levitical priesthood. So the common, ordinary man like you and I had no idea what was going on in the inside of that magnificent temple structure. The only thing that the common man could identify with were these two tall pillars that graced the porch of the temple. Only the outside of the temple was visible to their eyes. 
And if you will notice as we read the scripture that the ornateness of these two pillars was at the very top of the capstones. Church, this is our reference point. And this is the message for today. What was physically built in Solomon's temple in the Old Testament becomes a living temple in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 3 and 9, for we are laborers. Everybody say laborers. Together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, do you know that you're the temple of the Lord? And that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Today, right now, ordinary people. They can't see the Holy Ghost inside of you. They don't know that you've been baptized in Jesus' name. All they can see is the outer exterior of the temple of God. And that is why today you and I represent those pillars, amen, that the ordinary man is the only thing that they could see. <laughs> the only reference point they can see is what we portray on the outside, church. Such as our spirit and our attitude that we display on the outside. Just like the temple pillars of old. 1 Corinthians six nineteen said, what? That's what Paul said. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. We need to convince ourselves of that. We need to convince ourselves of that. We don't belong. It's not our body. It's his body. It's his temple. And he has made us to what we are today. For we have been bought with a price. Therefore, Paul says, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Oh, clap your hands to the Lord. So, so God made sure that through the power of his written word, that in making of these pillars, that what he applied on the capstones in the physical building of Solomon's temple is what you and I would model or example in this temple of flesh. The representations of each of these ornate elements placed on the physical pillar structures should be evident in our own physical lives through the power of God's Spirit. Verse 16 of 1 Kings 7 says, And he made two chapters and molten brass, of molten brass, uh, to set upon the tops of the pillars. 
the height of one chapter was five cubits uh, and the height of the other chapter was five cubits. Uh, and verse 17 says, and nets, everybody say nets, of checker work. There was like a net that covered. Now you got to understand, this was all very distinctly and meticulously carved out of brass. The Lord had nets or networking of checker work engraved all over those capstones. Meticulous, intricate crossings, uh, fitly formed, crisscrossed to form what appeared to be nets. Uh, And here we thought, uh, here all the time we thought that networking was a modern phenomenon. But this networking has significance for you and I. Because for today in the church, it is to represent the unity or the oneness among us. Brother, I need you. Sister, we need one another. Brothers, we need one another. We need to be armed elbow to elbow. There should be no divisions among us because we don't belong to individual assemblies. This all belongs to one assembly, the church of the living God. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in in chapter 2 and verse 19. He says, now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God. For ye are built, everybody say I'm built, upon foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple to the Lord. In whom we also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Did not Jesus pray that we should be one? We come from every nation, every tongue, every race. Brothers and sisters, this world needs to see God's people in unity. Not working independently of each other, but recognizing those of like precious faith are our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. You know, when you examine the holy anointing oil, and you will discover that that precious oil was made up of five distinct substances. And I'm not going to take the time to read them all, I mean, as far as the scriptures, but there was myrrh and sweet cinnamon and calamus and cassia and oil olive And you know what? Each of those substances were right in their own self, standing by themselves. But for God, it was when they blended them together. Everybody say together. 
that it became a holy anointing oil. And that's exactly what the psalmist said in Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. As the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. And this is the best part, whether you're in Wisconsin or whether you're in Alaska or any other part of the world, for there, everybody say there, the Lord commanded the blessing, amen, even life forevermore. You want Alaska to be continually blessed? Stay in the networking of unity. Church, we are the United Pentecostal Church. I know a minister that drove up in front of one of our country churches down south, and I mean not in Wisconsin, but south, south. And as he looked at the well-worn church sign that was painted on it, it said, Untied Pentecostal Church. Untied Pentecostal Church. Just a little play on the word, united. Church, it's only the positioning of the letter I in the word united. That makes all the difference between united and the word untied. Because one speaks of being loose and scattered, whereas the other speaks of stands for unity. It's only when the letter I stands out after the cross of the T that we have discord and independent attitudes that refuse to work together. But if we can keep that big me, myself, and I where it belongs, and that's before the cross, that is before the cross, T, then we will find ourselves purposely working to be in unity with our brethren. Network together throughout the world. Just like David said of his this attitude and spirit of unity. You're my brother. You're my sister. We're walking hand in hand. Thank you, Brother Meyer, for being my brother last night and picking my wife and I up at the airport. Amen. Unity is foundational for revival and effective evangelism. You see, the ordinary man and woman of this world needs to see Christ's church in unity. And I don't care if you live 300 miles from each other or you have a church two miles down the road. Because if there's anything I know that our Lord said, he said, do unto others. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you.
My friend, you do that and you'll be ethical the rest of your ministry and the rest of your life. And putting your brother first. Oh, praise God. So the first thing on top of those chapters was the networking. And then in verse 17 of 1 Kings 7, it says, And wreaths of chain work for the chapters which were upon the top of the pillars, seven for the one chapter and seven for the other chapter. Around the top of those chapters and the top of those pillars, over the networking, there were wreaths of chain work. Again, the significance here is what it represents. Because in our day, wreaths usually are associated with death or the dead. You can go to a cemetery, I, don't, I assume this is the same here in Alaska. But you go to the cemetery, you'll see a lot of wreaths. But folks, it hasn't always been that way. Matter of fact, you will find flowered wreaths honoring the departed. But in Bible days, wreaths represented victory. It was a laurel wreath that they would place on the head of the victor in any given race. The wreath was the gold medal of its day. It was the first place trophy, so to speak. This present world needs to see God's people as a victorious people. I said a victorious people. Not moaning and groaning, criticizing and complaining. Have you ever seen some people that claim to have the Holy Ghost? You need what I got. And they're running as fast as they get away from you because they're afraid they might catch it. We need to be a victorious people. That doesn't mean we lie to ourselves, but you know what? It's our choice. When we're in pain, we can either smile or we can be grumpy. In our attitude, we can either be positive or to be negative. And I'm telling you, amen, the Bible says that laughter is like a good medicine. We need to be a victorious people. Oh, somebody shout to the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I know of a pastor in Illinois. I'll tell you, Brother Blackshear, you may be seated, but his people were constantly complaining. It's too cold in here. It's too hot in here. Now, I know none of the people here in Alaska do anything like that. Constantly complaining. Always griping about the temperature of the church house. 
So he finally succumbed. He finally stood up at his pulpit and he said, all right, church, some of you have been worried about being too cold or too hot. I have installed a new thermostat in the back of the church. And for these next couple of weeks, you are more than welcome to get up and adjust it to your liking. And several did. And then it was just great. But what he didn't tell them, it, that thermostat wasn't attached to anything. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, we're to be a people that are happy. Yeah. Happy, happy. That are positive. A people that know that this world is not our home. That we're just traveling through. We're happy, not necessarily for our present circumstance, but because we know and understand the hope that is within us. Church, we do have a home that is laid up beyond the blue. Hope this is okay tonight. As one would look at those capstones on the top of those pillars, it was a chain work of seven of those victorious reefs. <laughs> seven being the number of perfection or completion, these reefs were all connected, representing the church going from victory. To victory, to victory, to victory, all throughout time and eternity. And there's no sense for us to stop now. Amen. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Does anybody here this evening have visible victory in your life? Anybody? Anybody? Hallelujah. You see, church, we are constantly being bombarded by a culture of death. You know that. You may be seated. I'm sorry if I'm disappointing anybody that I'm not done. And if we're not careful, we can get caught up with that mess that the world calls life. But we know that Jesus has given you and I true life. I like the name of this church, Life Church. And that life is more abundantly. Amen. 
That doesn't necessarily mean in riches and in material goods. You can't take what's in our heart away from us. You can take away our worldly goods, but they can't take away what's on the inside of us. See, the people of the world, the ordinary folk need to see that God's church is exhibited having a Holy Ghost-led life of continuous victory made plain before them. Verse 18. We only got 500 more scriptures to go. And he made the pillars in two rows round about upon the one network to cover the chapters that were upon the top with pomegranates. And so did he for the other chapter. Upon those capstones were two rows of engraved, the engraved fruit in the likeness of pomegranates. I don't know if you understand, but pomegranates on the inside, not every pomegranate has this many, but it represents, if, anybody ever eaten a pomegranate? It has those little nodules on the inside. Well, it represented to the Jew the Torah because there's 621 precepts in the Torah and there is talked back then that there were 621 little nodules in each pomegranate. So it represented a, a, a fruit that came from the word, from the Torah. And there was 200 of those pomegranates in 100 in each row on each pillar. <laughs> and so consequently, the amount of evident fruit that was displayed on each of those two rows were like 400 pomegranates that represent the fruit of the Spirit in each of us. And that spiritual fruit should be very evident, not just in the church house. I said not just in the church house. But that fruit needs to be evident outside these walls. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance. Against such there is no law. Please note that these fashioned pomegranates atop of those two pillars were more numerous than anything else. Brothers and sisters, we who claim to be God's people need to allow the Holy Ghost to shine through us in displaying the fruit of his spirit abiding within us. It's not that we just have the Holy Ghost, but what matters does the Holy Ghost have us Now, if this, what I'm about to tell you, won't keep you from coming back tomorrow. (laughs) 
Here I was teaching at Stockton Christian Life College in Stockton. It was on a Wednesday. And you know what? We, my wife taught school, and you know we were on staff there, and so it was a busy day. And the evening meal, we had three children, and the evening meal was like most of the preachers, you know, it's, it's run to McDonald's or someplace and make it a quick fix. Well, we always went to Burger King. And our Burger King there in Stockton, right down the church from Christian Life Center, was noted, at least in the drive-thru, for getting orders wrong. Now, of course, having three kids, each one had their specifics. So some had to have this on it and not that on it. You all understand that, right? So, uh, you know, we had our, our five burgers, you know, and the fries, and, and we had the drinks back at home. And so I said thank you to the person at the window, and I drove ahead, and I thought, oh, you know what, I better check this out. And wouldn't you know it? They were one burger short. And I had had it up to here with that Burger King. Now I'm confessing to you today. I whipped that car around front. And I got out of that car and slammed the door. And I walked in there and I said, I want to see the manager. And this little Vietnamese guy came out or Laotian man came out. I said, sir, you need to get your ducks in line. Every time we come by your drive-thru, we are not getting the order that we ordered. And I am talking just like this to this poor man. And he's going, you know, I'm not a little guy, you know. He's about that big. He said, yes, sir, yes, sir. So he gave me the other thing. I said, thank you. I walked out into the car. I got back in the car. And Brother Jordan, as soon as I opened that door and stepped in, the Lord said to me, what kind of a witness was that? What kind of a witness was that? Now, I know that would never happen to anyone in this room. Well, I got out of the car a lot slower than I did the first time. I didn't slam the door this time. I slowly walked up to the door of the Burger King. I opened the door and said, I'd like to see the manager. And that poor guy looked around the corner and went. <laughs> I said, sir, I've come back in here to apologize to you. I said, I should have never talked with you the way and the, and the loudness and the ferociousness that I did. I said, I'm asking for your forgiveness. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Church, we got to be careful. You just never know. You just never know. 
Oh, boy, I could go off on a different tangent right here, but I'm not going to. You know, when we take, when we take communion, and I guess we're going to take communion this week. There's, that one says, it says, if you do this unworthily, you eat and drink damnation to yourself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now, we think that just means all of us. But I remember a prophet that was taken into a very dead and dry graveyard that was very dead. And I know that we are dead in trespasses and sins. But bless God, Elisha didn't realize what was under his feet. And many times we don't realize who we are encountering on a day-to-day -day basis because we are not really discerning, amen, the potential of the Lord's body. I hope that makes sense to you. Because the very first thing he said to the prophet was, speak to the bones. Speak to the bones. And then that's what got things started. And then he said, preach to the wind. Because it's the spirit that will always bring life. Church, we need to be very careful of the people that we're dealing with outside of these walls as well as the people inside of these walls. And lastly, somebody can say thank God. On the very top of those capstones that would hang over those capstones in every direction would be the engraved lily work. Can anybody see what's on top of these pillars? You can't see what's on top of there. Those large loped flowers that we call Easter lilies, those were placed strategically at the very top. Remembering, saints, that these pillars and capstones were 35 feet tall. So the only way you could really get a good look at the lily work would only be from above. I believe that lily work represents to the church, both individually and collectively, our personal holiness to the Lord. Personal physical, and spiritual. Commitments to Christ in every aspect of our lives. The scripture states, be holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. Matthew, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. And I, I really believe that this verse has a twofold meaning. 
that if we don't live holy, we'll never see God. But then I also believe if we don't live holy, then no man shall see the Lord. This was the whole purpose of these two pillars to show forth by these pillars of what magnificent work was going on in the inside of the temple. And he set up the pillars in the porch of the temple. And he set up the right pillar and called the name thereof Jachin, meaning it is established. And he set up the left pillar and called the name thereof, and it was Boaz, meaning strong or strengthened. And upon the top of the pillars was the lily work. So was the work of the pillars finished. Would you stand with me tonight? Musicians, would you come? Men of God, saints of God, history tells us that when the morning sun rose in the east and the very first glimpse of that sun's rays rose over Jerusalem, the reflection of the sun upon those two pillars of brass was blinding. It brought immediate attention to the place where God's forgiveness could be received. It brought attention to all of what that temple represented to Israel. And Jesus said, Ye are the light of the world. The light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel. But on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Our master said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Saints of God that are here tonight, aren't you glad that you're in a church whose your pastor is strong established it's not wishy-washy it doesn't change with the seasons it doesn't change with the fashions it doesn't change in those areas of doctrine but it stands and this is what you and I are to show forth to a world 
that is in desperate need of the only Savior, Jesus Christ. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just wonder tonight who wants to be a pillar of the assembly. And if you do, why don't you make your way up front, everybody that can, and lift up your hands, lift up your voices, and then he said, God, help me, Jesus. Help me, God, to be the man that you want me to be, to be the woman that you want me to be. Nothing less, nothing more, God, but to be exactly God. I want to be a pillar, God. I want to be strong, and I want to be strengthened. That doesn't mean that you never make a mistake, but you just know. You're in unity. You've got victory. You show the fruit of the Spirit. And you have holiness that only God can see. And a world is looking for it. Hallelujah. Oh, call out to him, church. Hallelujah. 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 Woo!